Welcome back to With Our Whole Hearts. In this series at Wingfoot Church, we are looking at a rule of life. Uh, Not rules for life, but a template or really a guide for how we think about how Jesus lived his life. Uh, And then an invitation to then think about your life. Think about the season or the situation that you find yourself in. And ask this question of what would it look like for me to put into practice the way Jesus lived his life in my life? A rule of life is not a set of rules that you have to follow, but instead it's as Pete Scazzaro defines it in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a conscious, intentional plan to put God at the center of everything that I do. This is, in reality, what discipleship or being a student of the way of Jesus is all about. As Jesus said, the most important thing that you can do is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reality is we oftentimes are drawn in a whole bunch of different ways and we're distracted, and so intentionality is sometimes difficult. And that's where a rule of life is an intentional plan to follow Jesus. Uh, If you have not yet, if you visit wingfootchurch.com slash 6P, uh, there is a template guide that you can download uh, that will help you think about this rule of life in your life. Uh, Our rule of life at Wingfoot Church are really our set of values or practices that define what discipleship looks like for us at our church is around these six P's or these six practices or priorities from the life of Jesus. All of these stem from our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Uh, This last practice in our rule of life is the practice of peacemaking. So if you put all six of them together, uh, the six P's of wholehearted discipleship or what it looks like to be a disciple at Wingfoot Church is to practice prayer, practice pace, people, peacemaking, and place. Prayer, practice, pace, people, peacemaking, and place. And yes, that kind of rhymes. That's kind of intentional uh, so that this begins to soak into our thinking. Uh, so when someone asks you, hey, what does it look like to be a disciple? Or or when you come to Wingfoot Church, what are the things that we care about? These are the six things that we care about, all rooted in and connected to a deep love for God that is expressed in a deep, selfless love for people. Uh, so the invitation in each of these and why we're doing these extra teachings on each one of these is because these are huge concepts. In fact, uh, moving forward at Wingfoot Church, the plan is that uh, over the course of two years, uh, we're going to teach through each one of these uh, for three or four weeks uh, every three or four months uh, to build this regular rhythm where uh, there's a lot that we can talk about as far as what it means to love people, what does it mean to love your place, how do we practice peacemaking and good conflict. And so uh, this is not the end of the the time that you are going to hear about these things, but instead just the beginning as we launch into this new chapter at Wingfoot Church. Uh, But today in this final uh, teaching in this series, as we uh, look at this rule of life, we're going to look at the practice of peacemaking. Uh, And I think this is perhaps one of the most difficult ones, the one where we tend to have a lot of emotion and things that we got to work through. And so uh, we're going to talk a lot about just kind of the concept of peacemaking, what it is and what it isn't, and what it looks like then to put this into practice in our life. Uh, So the practice of peacemaking defined means this. This is what we're talking about when we talk about peacemaking, that we seek understanding and cultivate peace across our social, racial, ethnic, economic, and political differences. We seek understanding and cultivate peace across our social, racial, ethnic, economic, and political differences.
Sunday, we looked at how in Genesis 4, sin and violence go hand in hand. Sin has this corrosive effect on our heart that leads us to have hardened hearts towards people around us. That in the story of Cain and Abel leads to Cain murdering his brother. Uh, in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he uh, diagnoses why our world is so violent, why our world is kind of constantly in a cycle of conflict. He identifies a cycle of violence. Uh, in Matthew 5, he begins with anger. That anger is this emotion that I feel inside of me that often has to do with pain that I've experienced or frustration that I have in the world. But this anger is directed towards someone or a people group. And this leads to then the second aspect of this cycle, othering. Uh, Jesus says this leads to insults, or as he uh, says, you fool, or in Aramaic, that means raka, which means empty-headed. That anger leads to othering. Every genocide throughout human history uh, moves from anger into this place of dehumanizing those that we disagree with, those that we are angry with. But when I other someone with my language, with the labels or the prejudice or discrimination that I use towards them, it becomes a whole lot easier to be violent towards them, uh, whether that's physically violent or uh, emotionally violent, abusive, to mistreat, to discriminate, to exclude people. Because after all, my language and my anger has told me and convinced me that they are less than me. But this then leads to more anger. Why? Because now I've been violent against a person or a people group, and now there is pain in that people group that leads to more anger. And so Jesus in Matthew 5, 22 to 26, he diagnoses uh, the heart of the problem. And that is that there's this anger that leads to othering, that leads to violence, that leads to more anger. Instead, Jesus introduces a way of peacemaking, of proactively loving your enemy and seeking their good. Now, we tend to think that peacemaking means that I'm a doormat, that I don't do anything, uh, that I don't confront it, or that I don't get into conflict. But instead, Jesus gives us three scenarios in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, uh, to help us wrap our minds around what peacemaking looks like. The first scenario is when you're slapped on the right cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. Now, this doesn't mean just go get punched again, but instead, when I turn my cheek towards you, I am facing you again, and I'm inviting you to think about the injury that you just caused me. This is a confrontation of the violence, a confrontation of the evil, not punching back, but instead turning evil on the person, turning it around to them for them to think about what they just did. Uh, we see this as well in the second example. Jesus says, if someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak as well. In that context, there was only two garments that you wore. And so Jesus is essentially saying, if they do this, stand in front of them naked. Uh, that causes shame. That causes them to feel the weight of what they just did. The last example Jesus uses is the example of someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Now, in that culture, any Roman soldier could force any civilian to take a load a mile. And so what Jesus is instructing is, is to not resist them, but instead, as you go two miles, as you go past the one mile, you are taking power back in this in unjust situation, but also bringing that Roman soldier under condemnation or potential judgment by the same authority that enacted this unjust law by them going further than one mile. And so the whole point of Jesus' teaching is not that we should be doormats or that we should be passive, but instead that we should creatively confront evil with good, or as Paul would tell uh, the early church later on, to overcome evil with good. 
that we don't give in to evil by perpetuating evil or returning evil with evil by fighting back or punching back or being aggressive back, but instead peacemaking means we confront it by calling it what it is, by demonstrating the evil and the injustice of it, and working towards a creative solution. Uh, we looked at how Martin Luther King Jr. in his teachings on nonviolent peacemaking, uh, he talked about how violence creates more violence. And so the goal of peacemaking is actually that our enemy would become our friend, that we would win our enemy over to our cause. Whereas Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That the goal is not that we would vanquish our enemies, but that our enemies would become part of the family of God. Because after all, every person that you meet is made in God's image, is someone that God loves and God cares for. And so peacemaking calls us to work for that higher good, to not get caught up in cycles of anger and violence, but instead to look in the face of every person and, and to work for their redemption and their reconciliation that they might discover the same love of God that he has for us. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Uh, so on Sunday, we kind of looked at three circles of peacemaking, uh, three dimensions of this way of peacemaking. The first is peacemaking between you and God. Now, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of what Jesus came to accomplish. And so we have to start here with making peace between us and God. Second then is making peace between me and my brother or sister, those in my community or those in my family so I can understand and seek reconciliation uh, in the way of Jesus. But this also then leads us to the third circle of making peace in and among a world of war. And so we're going to look at each of these a little bit more, dive in a little bit more so that we can begin to put this into practice in your rule of life uh, in a number of ways as we follow Jesus in his way of peacemaking. So first, let's talk about peacemaking between you and God. Uh, the heart of the gospel is this message that when we were God's enemies, God offered us grace and forgiveness through the substitutionary death of Jesus. That Jesus takes the weight of my sin, the weight of my rebellion, all my bad decisions, all the times that I turned away from God and sought my own path, my own decisions, God instead takes the initiative to offer peacemaking. And I think this is really important to get that reconciliation is the heart of the gospel, that my sin and your sin creates a rupture in my relationship with God, that God is the king of the universe. He is the creator. And so when our first parents turned against him, they were in fact saying, I want to do things my own way. Uh, and we see this trajectory through the whole storyline of the Bible, that sin is an affront and an offense to God. That at the bottom line, sin, any sinful decision that I make, any sinful action that I take is somehow rejecting or rebelling against God and his way. And any reconciliation, to be true reconciliation, requires that the person who has been hurt offer forgiveness or take the initiative to define the terms of reconciliation. That's what we see at the heart of the gospel, is that God offers a way for us to be made right. He doesn't uh, negate or erase the effect of sin and say, you know what, guys, it wasn't that big of a deal. Instead, he both recognizes and honors the weight of that sin that caused that irreconciliation but places it on Jesus so that you and I can be made right with him. Uh, and that's really important to get because reconciliation, a false peace is saying, hey guys, it's not that big of a deal. 
Right? This conflict really doesn't matter, but that's not how God handles the conflict between me and him. Instead, he takes the issue seriously, but offers a way for us to be made right with him. And so being made right, you and God, is, is the beginning of peacemaking. And really, I think the power of peacemaking. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in his teachings on nonviolence and peacemaking, he described this inner transformation that has to take place. There's a, uh, in, in nonviolent peacemaking movements, there's a practice of inner purgation is how it was sometimes called, where, where I need to be made right to be able to get the strength internally to then be able to engage in conflict well. And I think that's the power of the gospel, that the gospel gives me the ability and the power to make peace with others as I understand the depth of my own sin and the lengths to which God went to make me his son or his daughter. And so the first practices of peacemaking between you and God, I think there's a a space in here for just a regular practice of reflection and confession, Uh, making a regular habit uh, of reflecting on your own life, uh, maybe looking back on your week and just considering the ways in which you deviated from God's will, moved away from God's plan, maybe took matters into your own hands. Uh, And then this practice of reflection and then confession, which is where I name those things. I name the sin that I have been participating in. I I name the desires in my heart that I have been prioritizing over and against the desires of God for my life. And so one simple practice that we have uh, talked about in the past here at Wingfoot Church is something just that we just call check your spies. Uh, Spies is an acronym at the center of our rule of life. uh, That spies stands for socially, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, Because at the heart of all this is love for God. And so checking your spies is just taking a moment maybe in your day or in your week and and looking through each of those five areas in your life. Uh, How have I loved God in my relationships with other people socially? Uh, How have I loved God with my time, with my money, with my energy, with my rest, uh, my physical life? Uh, Have my thoughts been God-centered or God-pleasing, or have I been ruminating on thoughts or sinful things or my opinions or my perspectives have actually been moving away from God rather than towards Him? Am I trusting God at a deeper level with my emotions? Am I being open and honest with Him and others, or am I projecting kind of a false image of myself? Uh, Spiritually, it's just saying, like, am I rooted and connected in God? Am I trusting him? Am I engaging in good spiritual practices? And so checking your spies is a practice of just regularly saying, where am I and where is God? Are we on the same page or am I moving away from him? Uh, This requires a level of intentionality to just say, okay, if me and God, if our relationship, if our reconciliation is the most important thing, then how can I prioritize that and pay attention to that? The second aspect of this reconciliation or peacemaking between you and God, I think, is also uh, taking the time and the space to do the work of making peace with your inner life, uh, of really kind of exploring your emotional life. Uh, Jesus is clear in his teaching that anger is the root of violence. And so he encourages us and really invites us to explore our inner emotional and spiritual life. And that's really at the heart of this idea of wholehearted discipleship is that our emotional lives and our spiritual lives go hand in hand. Uh, That I can't grow emotionally if I don't grow spiritually, and I can't grow spiritually if I'm not growing emotionally. And so the invitation of this is also to bring your emotions to God. And that's the beautiful thing about the Psalms is the Psalms are just David kind of exposing and exploring his emotional life with God. Uh, And so uh, the invitation of peacemaking between you and God is also uh, opening up some spaces in your mind and your heart for God to explore. 
and to dig into those things with him. This is why uh, the class that we're offering at Wingfoot, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is I think so important because all of us carry stuff beneath the surface, uh, whether that's grief or loss or anger or pain or brokenness or frustration. Uh, and Jesus says these things actually shape every other aspect of our life. And so emotionally healthy spirituality and this, this process and this practice of exploring your emotions, uh, of giving some name and some voice to your emotions with God is really a way of continuing to make peace between you and God. Uh, so maybe that practice is, again, checking your spies, is checking in on your emotions. Uh, maybe it's taking the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and engaging with some of those practices that they're going to talk through in that class. Uh, but there's also, I think, space for what we might call counseling or spiritual direction in here. Uh, that as you begin to unpack that, there might be some painful experiences in your past uh, that have really posed a barrier between you and God. And sometimes you get stuck and you just need a little bit of help. And that's where I think counseling or spiritual direction where someone comes alongside you to just help you discern what God is doing and what he's uh, inviting you into in this next season of life can be a really powerful thing. Uh, because fundamentally, Jesus' teaching is that uh, this peacemaking begins as we recognize the depth to which God went to make peace with us. And that, that love and that grace transforms our hearts, transforms our inner life, so that we can then engage peacemaking in our relationships and in the world around us. The second circle of peacemaking is peacemaking between you and your brother or sister. And by this, it's really you and a friend, you and a family member, you and someone who is in your community with you. Uh, Jesus is clear in his teaching that our ability to reconcile with our brother and sister is indicative of our understanding of how far God went to reconcile us to himself. In fact, in Matthew 6, after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he says, If you forgive your brother, your father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive your brother, your father won't forgive you. That It's so important that he places that warning there. Uh, in Matthew 5, he says, If you have an issue with a brother or sister and you're at the altar, in other words, you're in worship or you're in prayer or you're in community group or you're in a Bible study, uh, he says, Leave your gift there. Uh, hit pause on that. Go be reconciled and then come back. Uh, there is a direct connection between our willingness and ability to reconcile with someone and our understanding and our ability to grow in our relationship with God. Uh, now, this is really hard to do because for a lot of us, we want to avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, and I think part of this practice of reconciliation, I think, requires us first to explore how your family dealt with conflict growing up. Uh, most of us learned how to fight or how to engage in conflict or tension uh, by watching our parents or our siblings or our family fight. Uh, now, that could be, you could think in your own home, there was never conflict, there was never fighting. Uh, there was still tension, right? Every relationship has tension. Every relationship has some degree of conflict. Uh, and if you think, hey, there was no conflict in my family growing up, that still tells you something about how your family handled conflict. And so part of this is first to do a little reflection and say, uh, how did I learn and where did I learn how to fight? 
uh, if my parents or my siblings were always just explicitly fighting right, with our words or maybe even our fists, that teaches you something about how you're going to handle conflict. Uh, but if your family was not emotive, was not expressive, just kind of shoved everything under the rug, you're probably going to be a little bit more conflict avoidant in your uh, ability to engage conflict. Now, I want to just take a minute and I want to look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 on how to engage conflict well, because I think this is a place that uh, we tend to settle for a false peace where we just kind of avoid the conflict, we avoid the tension, or we kind of talk about it with other people, but we don't actually engage it in a healthy kind of way. Jesus' way of peacemaking leads us to engage conflict, not to ignore it, but instead to directly address it for the sake of reconciliation. And oftentimes what happens is when we avoid conflict, we are really just trying to preserve a false peace for me uh, or to not get into it because it's too hard to deal with. But what we end up doing is then we kind of like leak it other places where I go gossip over here with a couple people or I go tweet about it over here where no one can see it. We tend to leak our conflict other places. But instead, Jesus in Matthew 18 teaches us how to engage conflict. The first thing he says to do uh, is he says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Right, so first he says, we engage conflict directly. So if there's a tension or an issue between you and your brother or sister, the first thing that you do is you go talk to them about it. Uh, now notice the goal of talking to them about it is to win them over. It's not to crush them or to shame them or to beat them up, but instead we go name the conflict directly with the person. Jesus is saying this is the first step in reconciliation is I express to you how I have felt you have wronged me or how I have been hurt by you with the goal being mutual understanding. Uh, but Jesus is clear too that we also live in a world where that often doesn't lead to reconciliation. And so the next thing he says is, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, he's saying here, if that doesn't work, then you bring two or three other people into it. Uh, now, notice these are witnesses. Uh, so what Jesus is saying is these are people who know the conflict. They've seen the evidence of it. So this isn't you like going and gossiping with two of your friends and then ganging up on one person. This is instead increasing the accountability or bringing others into the situation to va validate or verify that this is in fact an issue. And again, the, the goal is the same. The goal is to win the person over. So this isn't go gossip about it in your community group. This isn't go text a bunch of friends and all gang up at Denny's about it. Instead, it is getting two or three other people who have seen this reality play out and have them join you as you address it directly with the person as well. Now, Jesus says then in verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And now here he expands it as well. This person is still not listening. And so now you bring in the assembly. Now you bring in uh, maybe there's a community authority or an elder or a pastor or a teacher, uh, someone who can also speak into the conflict and help keep this conflict centered on God and his purpose for reconciliation. Uh, so the circles continue to expand, but the goal is still the same, to win them over. Uh, but Jesus is also clear here that sometimes people will just not want to reconcile. And so the teaching here sounds a little weird. He says, treat them just as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Essentially, what he's saying is sometimes you have done everything that you can to forge reconciliation. 
Uh, you have tried to address it. You brought others in. You've made efforts to forgive. You've made efforts to reconcile. But sometimes the person just doesn't want to go there. And essentially what he is saying is this, is that uh, at some point you have done what you can do. And it is the responsibility of the other person to deal with the consequences. And I think that's really important to get, particularly if you're dealing with some really deep hurt, uh, some really embedded habits of relating to one another that are just really painful or harmful or toxic, is that there is space in Jesus' teaching to say, sometimes you just need some space. And that space can actually be redemptive. That space can be healing. And so Jesus provides this way out where if there is conflict that continues to hurt and the person refuses to forgive or to reconcile, that space is okay. Uh, And so that's how Jesus helps us think about peacemaking is that we engage the conflict directly. uh, And if that doesn't work, we bring others in as well. But at some point, it's okay to say, I just need some space from this. Uh, But Jesus is clear through all of this that reconciliation matters, Uh, that this isn't then an excuse to just kind of jump out of the engagement or jump out of the conflict, because he says at the end of this, he says, uh, if two of you agree about anything, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. In other words, that when we do forge reconciliation, we actually experience God in a deeper and more profound way. That community matters because it's there that we experience his presence. And so the tangible practice in this for your rule of life might be a little bit hard to identify because this can be a little bit intangible. But I think uh, bottom line, it's a commitment to engage conflict directly, uh, to not participate in gossip or kind of talking around an issue or settling for a false peace, but instead engaging conflict directly. That if someone uh, rubs you the wrong way, if there's a tension, if there's a rupture in your relationship, to make a commitment to directly address the issue and not settle for a false peace where I just act like everything is okay, or settle for kind of uh, toxic behaviors where I'm trying to just avoid it by oozing it out somewhere else, but instead to engage relationships directly. Because Jesus says that as we do this, we will begin to experience his healing and his reconciliation power in a deeper and more profound way. circle in our peacemaking paradigm is peacemaking in and among uh, the conflicts of the world. Uh, I think the trajectory of Jesus' teaching lead us as followers of Jesus to confront evil and injustice in the larger world around us, to creatively engage evil and injustice, not through violent means, but through creative demonstration in a way to show or highlight uh, how evil and injustice continue to stand against people who are made in the image of God. I think one of the things that we forget about Jesus is that Jesus belongs to the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, Uh, that he was a prophet uh, who came to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and also the king of that kingdom that was coming. And if you look at the story or the history of the prophets in the Old Testament, you'll find that uh, not only did they announce the kingdom of God, but they also demonstrated the kingdom of God uh, and God's will and God's purpose through 
creative action. And some of them are quite uh, challenging and quite profound. Uh, Isaiah was instructed to walk around Israel naked for three years as a demonstration of just the shame of their sin. Ezekiel was instructed to build a small-scale model of Jerusalem and lay next to it for over a year in the middle of the city, and also, surprisingly and shockingly enough, told to cook his food over human excrement. Uh, Jeremiah bought a sash and buried it, and then uh, a year later paraded it through the city as it was ruined, demonstrating the corrosive nature of sin. Uh, The prophets announce the kingdom, but also demonstrate through creative action and imagination what it looks like uh, when you are in alignment with God's will and what it looks like when you're out of alignment or resisting to God's will. And this is the tradition that Jesus belongs to. He is a prophet uh, who announces the coming of the kingdom of God. And I think you see this in several instances in his ministry, uh, whether that's when he walks into the temple and turns tables over. It's a prophetic demonstration or prophetic judgment against the injustice uh, and evil that was perpetuated within the temple system. Uh, Palm Sunday is also a prophetic demonstration. Uh, Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting for a Messiah using Palm palm branches, which was a symbol of a previous uh, messianic insurrection about 150 years ago, a violent insurrection that sought to overthrow Rome uh, through violent means. But Jesus rather chooses to enter into the city on a donkey, a symbol of humility and lowliness, weeping. And so his entrance into Jerusalem is even itself a demonstration of his ministry and his purpose. He came not to overthrow Rome through violent means, but rather to surrender or to submit to his father's will to die for our sins, and in doing so, to bring about a different kind of kingdom. And so the way of Jesus that is rooted in this prophetic tradition is really an invitation to peacemaking in and among the world around us through nonviolent demonstration. And I think that's important, that nonviolent action is really at the heart of what Jesus teaches, that each one of these instances where there's some sort of evil or injustice or violence, we are called to confront it uh, with the power of God's kingdom and with the authority of being an image maker or an image bearer of God, but but never to uh, overcome evil with evil, but rather to overcome evil with good. Uh, nonviolent action, if you read kind of the history and the tradition of nonviolent demonstration, particularly through the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, it was largely encouraged and fostered by Christians who were pastors even, who were following Jesus and seeking to reveal the injustice of Jim Crow and uh, and segregation in our country. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his book, uh, Letter from Birmingham Jail, he describes how protest or creative demonstration doesn't create tension, rather it reveals the tension that was already there. And so protests and creative action are intended to reveal the injustice or to demonstrate the evil of what's already happening uh, through creative action and through revealing attention through demonstration. Uh, And so a part of peacemaking is, I think, engaging in the conflicts and the tensions of our world uh, to be a peacemaker. In other words, not to create chaos or not to create more tension, but rather to bring reconciliation, not through ignoring evil and injustice, but rather demonstrating the importance of God's kingdom and Jesus's way of peace. So how can you begin to engage this in your everyday life, right? You may be uh, very unfamiliar with kind of this idea of nonviolent demonstration or peacemaking. Uh, I think the first place to begin is just seeking a deeper understanding of the issues around us. Uh, That's why our definition of peacemaking begins with seeking understanding. 
that oftentimes in these issues or the tensions or the conflicts in our community, it can be very polarizing and it's very easy to fall into, like in our context, a left or right paradigm uh, where either I see the issues through uh, uh, left-leaning politics or right-leaning politics. Uh, But Jesus, every time he was challenged or invited to uh, participate in kind of the politicized or the polarized nature of his community, he instead invited people into a third way. Uh, that the way of Jesus is not like a middle road between left and right, but it's a different road altogether. So part of this is seeking to listen, to understand, to read from, or to pay attention to people who are naming issues. Uh, And to not fall prey to left thinking or right thinking, but instead to try to think with the eyes and the vision of the kingdom of God. To say, what is God's will? What is God's plan? What does God's world look like, the shalom of his kingdom? And where is that not happening because of evil or injustice. And so seeking understanding is before you fall into kind of the left or right kind of polarization of our day, instead trying to pay attention to and really seek to understand the layers, the history and the complexity of the issues that oftentimes are presented as very simple left or right issues, but instead to think deeper than that and to think with the eyes and the vision of Jesus. But then the second aspect of that is this idea of creative action or creative demonstration. Uh, You know, in our city even right now, you know, we're on the heels of uh, the Jalen Walker grand jury that's about to take place in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We've seen over the past year uh, demonstrations in our city. Uh, And uh, as you think through what it means to confront evil with good or to even be a prophetic voice in the community on whatever the issue might be, Uh, I think there's a couple of questions that are really important to think through Uh, as you think about or maybe consider, you know, is this protest or is this creative action or this creative demonstration, is it something worth considering or something worth paying attention to? I think there's three questions that I think through uh, before I engage in a protest or kind of an action event where we're going to uh, address or name uh, some evil or some injustice. The first question I think through is who is leading this? Uh, That creative action requires leadership. It requires uh, a focused goal. And so paying attention to who is sponsoring the protest or who is sponsoring the action or who is kind of leading the direction of the community or the event uh, helps me know, okay, this is where we're going and this is what we're after. If it's someone who is uh, in the kingdom or following Jesus or has clarity about the things that Jesus cares about, it gives me some ability to then lend my voice and my presence to that action. The second question with that as well then is, are there specific demands or actions that are being taken? The goal of creative demonstration or uh, or peacemaking in our communities is not to create chaos, but rather to prompt change. And so with any kind of creative action or demonstration or protest, there should be at some level uh, a sense of these are the things that we're calling for, or these are the specific action steps that we should take. Uh, Some protests that I have been to in the past, there's often uh, maybe a flyer or in kind of the event promotion, there's a list of specific demands or policies that are being called for. I think that's important to think through if you're going to lend your voice or your presence to uh, creative demonstration in some kind of way to know this is what we're after. We're not just here to create chaos. And I think the last question, I think, especially for followers of Jesus, is important to pay attention to, is are the means of this protest in alignment with the fruit of the Spirit? 
In other words, the fruit of the Spirit are really a paradigm for us to think through, how do I know that God is in something? Uh, if God is in something, if His Spirit is working to move us and to call us to confront evil or injustice, it will look like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, those things characterize Jesus, and even Jesus as He was a prophet, even Jesus as He was demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so again, that's not to say a uh, protest can't be in tense or a protest can't be loud or disruptive, the purpose of protest or the purpose of creative demonstration is to reveal the tension that's already there, uh, but that the means uh, of that action should be in alignment with the fruit of the Spirit. Contrast that with the fruit of the flesh where Paul lists uh, enmity and fits of anger and strife and lack of self-control. Uh, that creative demonstration, if you read the tradition of the black church through the 1950s and 60s, was very concerned with an inner peace, uh, an inner kind of purgation of anger and bitterness so that you could creatively resist without fighting back. And so I think as you think about creative demonstration and protest, right, that's one of the ways to be able to discern, is this something that's worth giving my time, my presence, and my voice to? As uh, if this is just about bitterness, or if this is just about revenge, or this is just about retaliation, then it might be moving against the grain of God's spirit. Uh, but creative action and peacemaking is moving towards places of conflict and pain and, and irreconciliation with the love and the peace and the kindness and the faithfulness and the self-control of the fruit of the Spirit. That the end goal of creative protest and peacemaking in our communities is that we would see our enemies become our friends. That we would win over those who persecute us or those who stand against us to the cause of Jesus and his kingdom. And so this is why nonviolent demonstration, nonviolent peacemaking is particularly important. Because the end goal is not that we would get our way or that people would respect our opinion, but rather that every person who's made in the image of God would discover the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. That he died for them just as much as he died for us. And so in our action of confronting evil, we confront evil as a power, evil as this source of corruption and separation from God in the hopes that people might be freed from the power of evil and injustice and would actually turn and become followers of Jesus. And in doing so, those ones that stand on the other side of the issue, or the other side of the picket line or whatever the thing is, would in fact join the kingdom of God and become family. And so this is the end goal of peacemaking, is that we would not be caught up in the left and right battles of our culture or of our country, but rather that we would be a peacemaking force in our communities, bringing places that are divided, places that are controlled by evil and injustice, bringing those places and those people into the kingdom of God, that they would see and discover the power of Jesus who died for them and be transformed by that grace. The same grace that transforms us, transforms them. And so in our action, in our demonstration, in our seeking to make peace in our communities, this is the end goal.
And so as we conclude with our whole hearts, my prayer for you is that you have grown in your confidence and grown in your awareness of God's power and presence in your life, that he is actively involved in your world and he wants to invite you to yield a little bit of control, to yield a little bit of your comfort and convenience, to trust him, to know that he is actually involved in your life that you can reach out to him in prayer and his presence will be available to you, that you can actually put into practice the way of Jesus in your everyday life, that you're invited to rest and enjoy time with God, not just doing things for him, but resting and trusting that he will provide for you, that you're then called to a mission that is bigger than yourself, a mission that sees the value and the image of God in every person that you meet, uh, a mission that leads us to make peace where there is brokenness, to forge new unity where there has been division because of the power of Jesus who makes us God's friends. And that you might live this out in the everyday stuff of your place, on your block, in your community, at your workplace, in your home, so that every corner of our neighborhood, every corner of our city might be marked by the presence of people who are living like Jesus, deeply trusting in who he is and what he has accomplished. And as a result, people might see and discover the life that Jesus is holding out to each one of them, a life of freedom and wholeness, a life of peace, the life that you and I were made for, life with God and for others. So thanks for engaging this journey. I hope it's been helpful for you. Again, visit wingfootchurch.com 6p to download practice guides. There's a template for our rule of life so that you can begin to put this into practice in your life as you seek to embody the habits, values, and teachings of Jesus in your everyday life. May you have the courage to follow him, knowing that he is actively engaged in your life and wants to lead you into a life of abundance.